And to be the best of the best, you got to continue to to up your standards. Uh, you've got to continue to uh, shorten the window that it takes to to get folks to your standards via empowerment and training, etc. Um, and then you've got to you've got to be willing to make mistakes. Hey there! Thanks for joining me again on the podcast. As operators and leaders, one of the biggest challenges in our business is maintaining consistency as we grow that business. Now, many of our listeners have single locations, many have multiple locations, but ultimately, if you want to grow, maintaining consistency of service, of food and beverage quality, of training, of profitability takes tremendous skills and a system. So in this episode, this particular franchise is particularly successful at treating all stakeholders, their suppliers, their leaders, the owners, the franchisees, everyone involved in this concept follows a mantra, be famous. So you're going to want to stay tuned to find out exactly how that works. But there's so many key learnings in this episode. So don't miss it. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's a treacherous road, and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. Not answering your phone is one of the quickest ways for your restaurant to lose a potential customer. But between serving in-person customers and dealing with the kitchen, it's hard for staff to prioritize incoming calls. That's why your restaurant needs pop menu answering. Simple questions that keep your phone line tied up can be handled without pulling a staff person from your in-person hospitality. Reclaim the power of your phone. Pop Menu Answering is powered by artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions most people call in with, like, do you have outdoor seating, or what are your hours? Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, plus create customized greetings. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, turning every phone call into an opportunity. Plus, Pop Menu's full collection of tools helps optimize your restaurant's website and menu, streamlines your ordering experience, and assists in retargeting to enable you to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Get help answering your restaurant's calls now with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Welcome back to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast with me today, Mr. Michael Mabry. He is the president of Famous Toastery. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you today? Great, Roger. Thanks. This is fantastic. We're going to dive in because I know you've got a fast-growing concept here focused on breakfast and lunch and brunch, and that's really exciting. I want to talk all about the ins and outs, but my guests know I always begin with the backstory of my guest, and everyone's got a unique, interesting restaurant story, what first inspired them, how they got into the business. So why don't you take us there? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Well, uh, I'm a restaurant guy, and uh, I've got three passions, people, food, and life. And uh, the restaurant industry is really able to uh, allow me to tap into to each of those. I fell in love uh, with cooking uh, at a young age. Um, and and I, I lived with my dad. And uh, uh, whenever I'd go to my mom's, he would say, hey, could you learn how to make her meatloaf? Or could you learn how to make that spaghetti and meat sauce that she made? So I go to mom's. She would teach me. Then I'd come home to dad and, and I would cook it for us. So I, I I just really fell in love with food um, uh, fr- from that point on, and uh, was fortunate enough to uh, uh, get into so, some some early businesses at a very young age. Um, uh, but really, uh, just fell in love, like I said, with the the romance of cooking, and uh, went to 
uh, El Centro Community College in, in Dallas, uh, Texas, and got my chef certificate. And uh, during that time, uh, a buddy of mine uh, was working at uh, a restaurant in 1992 called Romano's Macaroni Grill. And uh, yeah, he's like, hey, man, uh, we're making $100 uh, a day uh, waiting tables. And I'm like, I got I got to I got to get in that. So I went and I went and applied for that position to be a server. Unfortunately, I didn't get the job as a server, uh, but they did offer me a job as a server support, uh, which is uh, a, a very fancy name for busboy. Um, and, uh, you know, the reason I didn't get the job, uh, was, uh, you had to know Italian. I didn't study, so I didn't pass the test. Um, and, uh, I, I really uh, look back at now and, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, and the whole idea of starting as a, as a bus boy, uh, really gave me the opportunity, uh, to, I've received a paycheck uh, for uh, really every position uh, in a restaurant, uh, from uh, busboy to server uh, to dishwasher to prep cook to line cook uh, to management, um, and th- those experiences have been really invaluable for me. And, but, but as I, you know, I, there was a there was three or four key moments uh, in in my in my uh, earlier years that really defined. Um, my trajectory. Uh, uh, one was uh, I'm, I'm working the uh, the floor uh, as a server one day, and uh, the manager comes over and says, "Ron, I still remember his name." And he's like, "Hey, I heard you are a cook. Are you not a cook?" I said, "Yeah, I actually do." He goes, "Hey, one of our guys called in. Uh, could you uh, go? Uh, could you go help?" I said, "Sure." Well, that's the last day I was ever on the floor. Um, uh, so that started my career in in the kitchen. Uh, was a, I was a prep cook, then I was a backup uh, cook, um, then I became a line cook, uh, saute, uh, pretty good at it, I think. Um, uh, then a sous chef, then executive sous chef, uh, then an executive chef, uh, then an area chef, uh, nice. and and you know that opportunity took me all through. Uh, uh, the, the kitchen um, and uh, uh, had me moving from uh, Dallas to Houston to Las Vegas, um, all still with Romano's Macaroni Grill. Uh, the second uh, key uh, piece was um, uh, married, and uh, my wife says, "Hey, you need to make more money." Uh, so I go to my boss and say, hey, "I need to make more money." It's not you're topped out as an executive chef. The only way to make more money is to become a general manager. I'm like, no way. I don't want to be a general manager. I, I, want, I want to stay in the kitchen. He's like, well, then that you can't make any more money. Short version is I became a general manager. So once I go home and told my wife what he said, she said, well, then you're going to be a general manager. So made that transition uh, to front of the house and um, had some great uh, leaders that uh, coached me through that. Uh, to say it was uh, rocky was an understatement, but uh, uh, we we made it through it. Uh, the uh, third important thing that happened was we had our child. We were living in Southern California at the time, running the Romano's Macaroni Grill in Thousand Oaks, California. And uh, uh, my wife wanted to come home to Dallas. So we came home to Dallas. As we did that, um, I went back to the original restaurant I started at as a busboy, as the general manager. And we had just brought on a uh, president, his name's John Miller, um, to run the brand. And he was having all of his meetings um, at the restaurant rather than at the corporate office uh, because um, uh, he was new to the role. And, uh, you know, being young uh, and dumb, uh, I started to interject myself into those meetings, uh, unbeknownst to me that I wasn't supposed to. But nonetheless, I did, uh, which got me uh, very overpromoted uh, into a role uh, that was responsible for franchising for the brand. And it was uh, all international. Uh, so I go from this busboy line cook guy to opening up restaurants in uh, Alcabar, Saudi Arabia, to Dubai, uh, all through the UK, um, all through Latin America, up into Canada. Was your and wife you- traveling with you at the time, Michael? Well, uh, some. Uh, my kids were two years old oh, and wow. newborn when I started that. Yeah. No kidding. So time yeah. away from home, that must have been a challenge. Yeah, a couple hundred days a year. Yeah. Uh, I like to say, though that uh, I, I knew the restaurant, uh, I knew how to run a restaurant, 
uh, prior to that, uh, I learned the restaurant business during that during that time. Uh, so keep going, uh, great. Uh, yeah. So so as we as we uh, uh, continued to progress and do that, I was very fortunate. Got to sit around tables that I had no business sitting around. Some of the guys that I consider to be the 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 godfathers of of casual dining, Norman Brinker was was still oh, yeah. around. Right, right. John Miller, Doug Brooks, mm. uh, Ron Dougal, Russell Owens, Rick Federico. Um, all these gentlemen were sitting around uh, the, the table. There I was. Um, uh, really didn't have much to say, but soaked all, soaked it oh, yeah. all. I can only imagine. Yep. Yeah, yep. what they had to say, and because of that. Uh, just gave me the opportunity to do uh, many things in my career. So that was the first 10 to 12 years of my career that I spent the next 20. Very uh, uh, fortunate. Uh, I've been part of a, a startup company um, uh, and we we grew uh, via franchising. I became a franchisee. Uh, so I've, I've been a franchisee of a, of a couple of uh, different brands. Um, uh, then did another startup. Uh, a, a burger uh, restaurant based here out of Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, called Muya Burgers, Fries, and Shakes. I'm familiar uh, with that. I think yeah, we covered them on the podcast uh, a while back, so I'm probably, familiar with Muya. Yeah, yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah, we grew that from uh, zero oh, wow. yeah. uh, restaurants to just over a hundred uh, sold to private equity. Um, um, then was able to stay on board for 18 months and uh, uh, continue to lead that brand, but work with private private equity to do that. Uh, then left, um, you know, as, as, as we went through that process, you know, um, uh, we got in front of uh, many different groups. Uh, one of them in, didn't end up buying us, but I became friendly with them. Um, and when I left, uh, Muya went to work, uh, with them at a concept called, uh, Fuzzy's uh, Taco Shop, uh, and was leading development for them. Then COVID hit. And uh, I did some consulting for uh, two or three uh, years, uh, doing some different things. But Robert Maynard is the founder and CEO of Famous Toastery. And he and I met about six or seven years ago at a uh, CEO retreat. And we hit it off to uh, talk to one another about, hey, how can we uh, do something together? Um, And about uh, October, November of last year, um, the timing was right for both of us. Uh, so I joined the team in, in December as a uh, president of famous toastry. Fantastic. That that's amazing. Awesome. All right. So let's, let's talk about famous toastry. There is a history of the brand. You talked about Robert, uh, you meeting him at the CEO conference, but when was famous toastry founded and how did it grow? And what are, what would you say the secret to the success of that brand is? And then we're going to talk all about franchising. Let's start with the history. Yeah, it was founded in the early 2000s by uh, Robert uh, Maynard, as I mentioned, and Brian Birchall. Uh, Brian really is the the godfather of uh, Famous Toastery. He's the guy uh, that it was his, his brainchild, and he and Robert uh, were childhood friends. Um, they grew up on uh, a street uh, in uh, in New York called a Holiday Park, and the name of our holding company is Holiday Park Partners. Um, so uh, uh, Brian moved from New York uh, to uh, Charlotte and opened up the the, fa- the first famous toastery. Okay. The original name was Toast, um, and he ran that uh, uh, that one restaurant, then went to two, then went to three. Then in about 2013, he and Robert decided, hey, let's start to franchise this uh, this concept. So 2013, they, they go out on the road and they start to franchise. It got up to roughly 30-plus restaurants uh, open via franchising. Over the, the next few years, uh, had some uh, uh, so, some attrition in some of those units. So today we're sitting sitting at, at 26 up and operating units. Uh, but the brand was born from a, a desire uh, to give people a breakfast, brunch, and lunch offer that they haven't had before. Um, we have uh, 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 one lens that we put everything through, and it's called Be Famous. Um, so the whole idea, like yeah, the whole idea about being famous is not famous toastery being famous. We want our 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 team members to be famous. We want our our guests to be famous. We want our franchisees to be famous. We want our vendors to be famous. And the way we we uh, go go about that, or way they go about that, 
is a day by day, shift by shift, making sure we're executing at, at the at the level that needs to be executed on. One of those executions is a a the the food lens that we look at everything through is called famously fresh. So for years, um, uh, the brand took it for granted that we used 100% real maple syrup, um, uh, fresh squeezed orange juice. And when I say fresh squeeze. We don't squeeze the orange until the guest orders the orange. Then it's squeezed to order for for that guest. Um, we make all of our, our batters in-house. We make hollandaise sauce uh, uh, for our Benedicts every hour. Um, we, uh, we make our own uh, uh, corned beef uh, in-house. So there are a lot of things that we have been doing for 15 or so years that we just really haven't took took uh, 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 took credit for. So this famously fresh lens that we're now running everything through is making sure that not only our guests know, but we want our team members to know too, feel proud about what they do. Absolutely right. So that's the basis of why it, the famous toastery was, uh, was built was to give truly fresh food uh, in, a, in an environment uh, possibly that hadn't, hadn't been there uh, in, in the past. Then for the service model, uh, our service model is a, is a team service model. We call it every server is your server. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind that is that if you're ever sitting at a table, anyone that walks by can help you. Anyone that walks by can 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 either refill your coffee or take take a take your order or uh, uh, t- take care of an issue that you may have or bring you another glass of orange juice. Uh, so it's a heightened level of service at the table uh, through our Be Famous lens. And then it's a famously fresh uh, heightened level of food quality coming out of the kitchen. Definitely value proposition there and a brand differentiator. I really like that. Let's talk about walking through the door of a typical famous toastery. Is it a standardized sort of vibe and ambiance or do franchisees have any leeway in how they design their stores other than the basic layout? Tell us about what it feels like when you walk through the door. What's what's the atmosphere like in a typical yeah, good location? Question. Yeah, good question. It's 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 a combination of all the above. The 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 key thing though is how you feel when you walk in. Mm-hmm. And what what is that uh, guest going to feel like when they walk into a famous toastery? Which it needs to be welcoming. They need to feel one of one. So whether the walls brown, white, or gray, uh, whether the floor is stained concrete or or hardwood, um, uh, whether the 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 bar has chandeliers on it, or we've just got a little corner bar. Um, it is important to what we're trying to portray as a brand. But what's more important is that our team members feel empowered to make the guests feel one of one. Because it, it, you know, I use in, in, in our industry, we use this term brand a lot. And yes, you, you want someone to know they're in a famous toastery. But we also want our franchisees and our local markets to feel that it's their restaurant. So uh, what may feel great in uh, Davidson, uh, North Carolina, uh, not may not feel so great in Roanoke, Virginia. Um, but at the end of the day, as long as we're executing from the famously fresh food item, we're executing on the Be Famous lens through, for, through our service. Um, the franchisees do have some uh, leeway in um, uh, you know what that finish out may or may not look at look, look like. Now, that being said, we just did a complete remodel of our of our uh, flagship uh, restaurant in, in Davidson. It's in a hundred plus year old building. Um, awesome. it, it was it wasn't scheduled to be a remodel, uh, but every time we peeled something back in a hundred year old building, oops, we got to get rid of this. We got to get rid of that. So ended up new walls, new flooring. We actually uh, peeled back uh, two or three layers off of a wall. There was a old brick from 1905 that was on it. So we kept the brick and treated it. So it's got this really cool vibe to it uh, when you walk in. Let's go back quickly to be famous and every server is your server. Those are two really powerful concepts that I want to focus in on a little bit more. Now, every company or most companies have a mission statement and it hangs on the wall and maybe you read it once and you never really practice it. And the difference is culture. 
So would you say that that is part of the culture now of this, you know, of this company and every new franchise that opens up for Famous Toastery? Obviously, be famous is a mantra that translates to, we talked about it, the staff and every stakeholder in that business, be a vendor, be a guest, be an employee or staff team member, that sort of thing. Is it part of the culture? Is it really ingrained? And is it something that a new franchisee is really pounding into new staff when they're opening a store that is like that is our foundation that is unchallenged unnegotiable that is how we deliver our service to our stakeholders including our guests would you say that's true uh, i would um it's it's a process um the the issue um with with mission statements or vision statements is they're only as good as the words that that they are. And what we've got to do with our franchisees is make sure that they feel famous. So as we're talking about be famous, that they they're buying in. Mm -hmm. Um, Our franchisee mantra is be famous with us. Um, So as we're out looking for new franchisees, that's what we're leading with um, in any of our PR and any of our franchise development messaging. So, um, you know, as we as we as we prove from a, uh, a headquarters standpoint or a corporate standpoint or a brand standpoint that hey, be famous, and then we start to treat our franchisees that way, then they will adopt it, uh, and then uh, it, it will continue to be and be even be more ingrained than it is now. Fantastic. Okay, let's talk about franchising and the model. You know, there are plenty of franchises out there and it seems to be, it's very rigid. It's very structured. It's like, that's the point of a franchise. You've got a built-in system that you're buying into. And then the consistency is absolutely critically important, but there's a trust factor and a relationship between corporate and the individual franchisees. And there's been a lot of industry headlines lately about disputes between some of the biggest names in franchising and their operators in the field. And you have a whole different philosophy about that. So tell us about the relationships that you build and what you stand on and the give and take communication and trust and relationships between the two to make a really successful franchise work. Restaurant owners and managers, I call this the business of a thousand details. And you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? So the the you know the franchisee franchisor uh, uh, piece is it's so interesting it, because as as we license out our intellectual property we it, it license out the the uh, opportunity to operate our brand it's really the it's not really it is the franchisee that takes on the burden um, so I, I preach to my team and teams uh, that at the end of the day we work for the franchisee. Um, and, uh, the, the, the royalty stream that comes in, uh, pays, uh, everyone's car payments and house payments and puts food on the table and sends kids to school. Um, uh, so we have a, 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 a responsibility to be servant leaders to those franchisees. And you know, w- when we approach it from, from that manner, um, I have found that we're able to, to build trust a lot quicker. And I preach this, what I just said to the franchisees too. I let them know we work for you. Um, it is, it is, uh, it is our responsibility uh, to be responsible uh, for um, uh, the brand, uh, but it's also our responsibility to serve you. And a, a quick story is I, I was part of a brand that there was a there was a little bit of uh, tension between the uh, franchisor and the franchisees and the teams, 
And this brand was uh, actually particularly had uh, all, it was all franchise with one corporate restaurant, but it was really just to, um, uh, for, for training and uh, research and development. Mm-hmm. And um, I had some new team members on and they were trying to, they were struggling with the franchisee franchisor relationship, you know, wanted to, to, Hey, do it our way uh, kind of thing. Um, uh, so what I had them do every two weeks uh, when they got their uh, pay was they had to send a franchisee, any one of them, uh, thank you and say, Hey, thanks. Uh, I got paid today. And uh, without your royalty stream that came in, I wouldn't have got it. And I'm here to serve you. And it just started to change the paradigm mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of uh, how our, my team looked at it, but then also how the franchisees viewed. It. So, you know, uh, because of that, um, it is uh, 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 something that I've just carried through throughout the the, the last uh, years, and um, it, it, I lead with it with with any company that I'm a part of. Lead with it at Famous Toastery, and lead with it uh, with the team and franchisees today. Let's talk about onboarding, or no? Before we go to onboarding, let's talk about what you look for in a great potential franchisee. What type of experience is necessary? Business acumen, finance success, all that sort of thing. Like what do you, what is the, there's gotta be a base criteria that you will have further discussions with someone if they're a promising candidate to become a franchisee. Yeah. Um, uh, people, food and life. And you've got to have the same to be a franchisee. The idea um, of, of running a restaurant is romantic. Uh, but as you well know, it's extremely hard work. Okay. So obviously we're talking about the criteria that you look for, you know, in a potential franchisee. And there's many things, of course, there's obviously business acumen, whether they have restaurant or hospitality experience, whether they've been a franchise E of a company before, you know, what does it take and what, what makes you look at a candidate more than once and have, you know, ongoing discussion? Well, they 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 really got to to be and want to be a servant leader, uh, and you've got to have this 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 innate desire uh, for hospitality, um, because you know to to be a franchisee or just to be in the restaurant business, um, uh, it, the the hours worked when everyone else is out uh, uh, partying, they're at your place doing the partying. Uh, whenever everyone else is out celebrating, they're at your place celebrating. So you, ha- you really need to love to serve, to serve people. Absolutely. And, and, and it's not just serve the guests. You have to love to serve your team members. Uh, but because when you serve your team members and then you've got to attract the right team member, um, to serve those, to serve those guests. So when we can and when we do uh, identify those servant leaders that have a passion uh, for people and hospitality, then the, the the next piece of the puzzle is can they identify the same type of people? And you know, it, it's can like-minded people attract like-minded people. So um, uh, you know, we 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 preach that, or I preach that as we're we're talking to potential franchisees. To be quite honest, um, I do my best to talk people out of it um, uh, because particularly they haven't been in the business before. I do everything I can to to like, hey, you sure you want to do this? It's really hard work, Um, but it's not just hard work. It's different work. Um, have you ever, uh, you know, managed, you know, 25 to 30 to 50 folks before, um, do you understand, you know, seven days a week type of operation, close a couple days a year, you try to get people to think oh, absolutely. through it and mm-hmm. the ones that you'll keep fighting. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, you, you usually end up being the right choice. Yeah. There's a burning passion inside. They understand hospitality. They love people. They love relationship building. Um, they love, it sounds to me like, well, well, this is a really interesting point that's come up a couple of times. I'm a huge believer as a former operator in obviously the word leader versus manager, the word empowerment versus delegation. And what I mean by that is any manager can tell somebody what to do that's delegating, but it's a rare organization that literally empowers its people through leadership by example, that gives them additional responsibility, gives them a chance to fail, critiques them in a positive way, uplifts their confidence and their skills, and then recognizes and rewards the achievement that they make. That's how you build team members that last, right? This is what we're looking for in each individual location. It's not just, and and right now there are labor challenges. No one disputes that. 
And unfortunately, it's that warm body thing where people are just hiring anyone off the street they can get just to, to deliver you know, the product. But the value proposition that guests expect, especially with inflation and rising food costs, and you have to adjust menu prices and people are paying higher prices in a restaurant and they're getting less than standard, you know, less than what they would expect in terms of service. And that is the biggest challenge that most operators are facing today. But it really starts foundationally with the staff you hire. And you're really looking to build careers and people that have that passion. And wouldn't you say that's a huge challenge right now, but that's where culture begins, you know? Yeah, I've got a couple of uh, comments on that. The, the, the first yeah. is uh, 100% in agreement on uh, empowering. And you said a key word, mistake. Um, I challenge my team and teams. If they're not making a mistake a week, they're not making enough decisions. So you've got to get out there. you got to make I decisions. Like that. And and we'll we'll talk about the mistake that was made and, and coach you through it. So that's that's number one. Mm-hmm. And the second thing you said was uh, warm bodies off the street to deliver the product. I think we have to define quote the product um, because if the product's the plate of uh, flapjacks, okay, yeah, that's a product. Uh, but or is the product the service, the mentality, the culture? Um, so it's a, it's a it's a fine line um, that 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 we walk. And and to be the best of the best, you got to. Con- I believe you got to continue to to up your standards. Uh, you've got to continue to to uh, uh, shorten the window that it takes to to get folks to your standards via empowerment and training, etc. Um, and then you've got to you've got to be willing to make mistakes. Well, you know, we've touched on this before, but the right kind of people with the right kind of training are really being brand ambassadors for famous toastery and they're building relationship with guests where guests are coming back as much for the food and the ambiance as for the person that they've built a relationship with and that's like powerful marketing right to get someone that feels an affinity with not just the restaurant but the people that serve them and that's a goal for any operation to achieve and you know, that's, that's what we're all striving for right now, but you're right. It's not just the product of the food you serve. It's really the whole experience and to get positive reviews, to get repeat business, to get people to recommend the restaurant saying I had a great experience at famous toastery. It really is foundational with the person serving each, each individual guest. So yeah, we're totally on board with that. Let's, um, let's talk about growth plans. Now, I understand you're looking to achieve, say, 50 locations by 2024. How, how will that be achieved? And how many units um, will you need to, say, take on? And, and is it also regional-based, or will you expand literally anywhere? Yeah, so that's a, that's a, a pretty hefty goal, number one. Let, let, let me state that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just uh, about doubling in size in two years, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. It, it, but the easiest way to double in size for every franchisee to open another restaurant. So this that goes Excellent. back that goes back to all of the, mm-hmm. the other things that we just said, building trust, right, people, right, famous, et cetera. Uh, but we're gonna have to bring new folks on. Um so uh you know, we've uh over the last year we start to build a, a robust team. Um, we've got, uh, you know, some, 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 some new leader, uh, new leaders in operations in development and training and marketing. And we continue to, 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 uh, evolve and, uh, bring on more, more folks uh, getting, getting us ready for, for this growth. And yeah, the, the idea is we're, we're based in the Carolinas. Um, we've got, uh, uh, a couple, uh, units up in Virginia. So yeah, we are going to look regionally. Um, we feel that, uh, from the Carolinas and surrounding States, uh, up to Virginia, uh, there's absolutely plenty of space for us to, uh, to, to, to reach that 50 or so units, uh, by doing that doesn't mean that we won't look elsewhere, but that is hundred percent our focus. Okay. In an individual location, we, we talked about ideally for the company, you've got seasoned operators that then open multiple units. Is there sort of a, with a system like this, obviously most of these things are dialed, but there's gotta be a certain range where, you know, is it a 10 mile radius from a location? Is it 20 miles? Is it, can you have more than one in a large metropolitan area all run by the same franchisee? Yeah, I think that's, uh, you've got to go market by market. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
varies in every every particular location or yeah, region. Let, yeah. let me make sure this is clear. Okay. One of the things we don't want to do and are are not going to do and have it done is uh, cannibalize a franchise uh, mm-hmm. location with another franchise location. Right, right, exactly. So, Exclusive territory is part of a contract, I'm sure, within a certain reason, right? Yeah, yes, yes. But but even on top of that, let's just make the assumption that yeah. there's an exclusive territory or there's not. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's an opportunity to uh, to open a location uh, because sometimes in the restaurant business, you have to play chess. So you've got to you've got to put a location just to to outpace your competitor or to outposition them. Uh, so we would you know uh, at least I've worked with it in the past with franchisees. That, hey, I understand, but if if we don't go there, competition X is going to go there. So do you want to lose sales to yourself or do you want to lose sales to to them? Um, uh, so we've got, but that comes with all the trust that I'm, I'm, we just talked about. Um, uh, but the, you know, the, the idea is to have solid multi-unit franchisees. That doesn't mean that, uh, uh, the, the, the franchisee that owns one, that they're just as valuable. Uh, I would argue maybe a little more valuable, uh, because they're the ones going in working hard every day and they figure out efficiencies and operating standards, um, that maybe we haven't figured out because they're opening and closing their restaurants every day. So we, when we open up the opportunity for uh, that type of communication, just strengthens our brand. That's great. Um, let's talk about current pain points that your operators are dealing with. And as a reference, certain day part or restaurant segments have been challenged by, say, fryer oil increases and French fries and beef and uh, Mexican restaurants are struggling with avocado costs and all this kind of stuff that just raises, obviously, their food costs. Have you had to pare down your menus? Are there certain things that have been limited due to supply chain issues? Like, what are the biggest pain points that your your you know your franchise operators are dealing with now? Yeah, commodities for sure. Uh, and, uh, we've done, uh, we've done a couple of things to, um, uh, to get out in front of it. Uh, the first is, uh, we just did a complete renegotiation of our broadline supplier. So we took, we, we, we went out to bid, uh, and, and stayed with our incumbent, which is Cisco. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they came back to the table with some really strong economics for our franchisees, uh, which saved uh, substantial amount of money for franchisee just from a from a raw cost standpoint. So that's one thing that we've done. The second is um, uh, one of the first initiatives that we took on at the beginning of this year was brought on a uh, a purchasing consultant that I've used for the last uh, 25 years. His name is Lee Plotkin. He's done a f- just a great job in um, uh, uh, looking at our current contracts and um, it, it has enabled us to play bigger than we actually are. Um, so we're we're looking at uh, uh, taking positions on certain items uh, and then uh, really getting some buying power from for, uh, from what he's doing. So we've strengthened our our uh, cost of goods from a um, from initial purchase standpoint. We've strengthened our cost of goods from a, a taking positions in getting better buying power, and um, you know it, even with all those things. I mean, there was a report last week that eggs are up two hundred and sixty seven uh, percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, then just. A couple of days ago, there's a new uh, Asian uh, flu pandemic that's hitting uh, poultry. Uh, I believe it was 60,000 uh, uh, chickens were just put to death because, of, I mean, so it's, it, mm-hmm. it is, it, it, a lot is coming our way. Very so, we, so, yeah, so we ran a, uh, a model uh, on our menu um, and we rolled out our first famously fresh menu uh, about two months ago. And uh, we took some price increase on some things, kept some things the same, added some new items, took off some items. And uh, so far, uh, the the sentiment has been excellent. Uh, there's been minimal to no pushback from our consumer um, on our uh, on our pricing. Um, there's been uh, some, some some great accolades on some of the things that we we added. We added a section called famous toasts. Um, so we have a avocado toast, 
uh, we have a Nutella toast, and then we partnered with a, um, a a great brand called Abby's Better Butter. Uh, so we have a Abby's Better Butter toast uh, that we put on. So it's a nut butter. Um, and we trick those toasts up with either bacon or, or strawberries, bananas, et cetera, and uh, uh, really have seen some uh, uh, so our, our, our guests grab a hold of it. So those are the three things that we've done. But, you know, with uh, with a, a potential recession, you know, knock on wood uh, coming, um, uh, but, you know, inflation is where it is. You know, do we, you know, we've got to be able to hedge our bets, unlike the grocery store. So if you and I go to the grocery store today, we pay $4 for a gallon of milk. We go tomorrow, it could be $4.80. And it just is what it is. Uh, but if they're in the restaurant business, you can't do that. You, you can't raise your price every day with commodities. But you can't, you can't outprice yourself either. Um, uh, so you've, we, 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 we feel we've done a, a, a really good job on uh, understanding where our menu is and what our consumers are demanding and pricing accordingly. Get everything you need for your operation with Smithfield Culinary. Their extensive portfolio lets you serve up a wide variety of proteins to keep your patrons happy. Choose from Smokin' Fast, which lets you add barbecue to your menu without adding a pitmaster to your payroll. Or browse their margarita offerings, encompassing everything you need for pizza toppings, plus a variety of specialty Italian meats like capicola, prosciutto, and salami. Finally, serve what you love with Smithfield, which includes everything from bacon to hot dogs to deli meats and so much more. For the products and solutions to keep your operation running strong, visit smithfieldculinary.com. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there there comes a ceiling to you can't raise your prices any higher for the guests still to feel value for what they're ordering. Okay, Correct. so that's that's super important. But obviously, maintaining margins with rising costs is harder and harder. And you know, a, a chain or a franchise like Famous Toastery has economies of scale. You just mentioned working with Cisco, you negotiated really good pricing and all that sort of thing. But still, there are things beyond our control. Whether we have a hundred restaurants or ten restaurants. And, you know, costing things out on a regular basis, knowing how much profit or how much each plate cost is on a regular basis is super important, whether you've got one location or a hundred today. And you're a chef, so you understand all this in addition to a business partner or a business person. Would you say that um, your menus are optimizing profit right now and that, that that's something that's routinely looked at every so many months? Yeah, we're beginning to optimize. And uh, yes, we, we are looking at it. Uh, I would say right now on a weekly basis. Okay, that's great. Uh, yeah, we're just we're 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 becoming. Um, uh, I, I feel the brand is becoming uh, a, a lot smarter, um, uh, it, and it's all due to the credit of the the, the new team uh, that we brought on this year. Yeah, I mean, we do have quite a bit of independent single location operators that listen to this podcast, and we have a range of guests, but I think it's so important to bring that point clear because obviously menu optimization is something that not every operator thinks about. And in my experience, I see lots of restaurants that just have profits all over the place on the menu and that the spread in each category is dollars and not cents and lower profit items are bigger sellers and they're stealing sales from what they could be selling and they're paying the highest wages in the kitchen. So I think it's really important for our, our audience to know that it's really important to cost out your menu, know what every dish costs to serve the guest, what your margins are, and obviously see with a product mix, you know, from your point of sale on a regular basis, what's selling and what isn't selling and our lower profit items, your biggest sellers. Cause if so, there's some adjustments you need to make. So I'm glad to hear that, uh, because obviously that you know the larger companies such as yourself are working on these things have these systems dialed but not every independent operator has that benefit um yeah yeah you've got to make sure we we, we try to make sure that those uh those movers uh, whether it be eggs or batter section or flapjacks or 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 waffles french toast um, have a, a the appropriate uh, margin in them, uh, but that the that the guest feels uh, that they've got a, a a great value for what they did, and then um, uh, some of our uh, uh, whether it's a 
uh, a, a bar drinks. We do have full bars, although we're, we're breakfast, lunch, and brunch. Uh, and some of our, you know, our splurge items uh, may have a, a, a little bit uh, larger margin in them, uh, but the product mix isn't, uh, isn't as high. But the guest that wants that, wants that. And oh, it, sure. it, yeah, that that price point isn't something that is going to dissuade them from from getting it. It's just that we happen to have it and, and they're going to order it. So it's a to your point, it's this healthy balance uh, of, of what it looks like. Let's let's go back to the onboarding piece. We talked about the criteria you're looking for with, with operators that, that come into the fold. But what type of training are you supporting them with? How long does the training take? Is there also locational assistance for them to find the ideal location? You got real estate people. I mean, franchising is a really complicated piece and the extent of the support you can offer really adds to the success of that individual operator. So tell us about their training and their onboarding. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, you know, franchising can be, uh, uh, again, very interesting in that I've never had in my, you know, 20, five plus years uh, involved in franchising, uh, someone slide a check across the table for their franchise fee that was mad at me, right? Uh, and when I say me, the brand. Yes, yes. Whatever brand that may be. Uh-huh. Uh, but somewhere along the way, the sometimes they, I, I, I call it lost that love and feeling. And where did it happen? So we've got to go back and identify those gaps. And, there, and there's, there's there's major milestones uh, during that process. Milestone number one is real estate. So um, we we sign on a franchisee and we say let's go find real estate. Well, maybe they don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay. That's why they signed on to with the franchisor. We're supposed to know what we're talking about. So we've got to make sure that we've got the appropriate uh, people in place, the appropriate tools in place, the appropriate partnerships in place to help them find uh, that location. Then we ha- then we have to negotiate the lease. We have to help them through that process. Then what's the next milestone? Construction. Okay, now go build it. Maybe they've never built anything before. So we have to have the appropriate team and processes in place that then allows them uh, to get their plans drawn up, take them to the city, uh, uh, and, 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 and get that piece of the process done. Okay, great. Next big milestone. Now you need to come to training. Uh, maybe they've never uh, uh, worked in a restaurant before, or or um, uh, been in a kitchen before. Um, uh, so we've got to make sure that we are uh, have that lined out appropriately, so they feel comfortable and confident. Um, and they have competence as they go through as they go through that process. Next big milestone is now we're going to go open, and we send a team in, um, and the uh, you know franchisee um, uh, has got to have put a grand opening plan together. It's got to market their restaurant. Uh, got to hire. Um, uh, and what I have found in, in, uh, in this isn't brand specific, this is just overall, there was this, there was this overall, um, end when we got to the day before opening, uh, the franchisee goes, we made it. And I'm like, made it. Now it we, hadn't start. Start. we hadn't even started. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. So because of that, that franchisee is tired because they've just went through all of these things that I just mentioned. Yeah, it's rigorous. So we have to we have to flip the switch. Mm-hmm. The day before opening, we, we shut down, we're getting ready to open that next day. My team should be exhausted. My team should like whoosh, we made it. The franchisees should be in an athletic stance, on their toes, ready to go. Let's go. But that's our responsibility to help them get there. Mm. So the onboarding aspect of what we do has to be one that keeps them energized, keeps them rested, keeps them focused, and keeps them eye on the prize, which is the first day we open and the first guest walks in and pays money for, for a product. Wow. That's that's quite a process. Every person handles stress differently and 
their emotions differently and they're all amped up and they're ready to go. But like you said, they've gone through an exhaustive process and it's the support and the motivation and the inspiration that you provide that really gets them over the hump so that they can really deliver, obviously, on that value proposition to guests. That, that was an awesome description of how that works. Let's talk about consistency. Now, obviously, you walk into a famous toastery here versus the next town over or the next state over. It's like it's got to be a consistent experience, and you must spend a significant amount of time ensuring that consistency. How, from a corporate standpoint, can you maintain consistency when you've got independent operators that are part of your system that need to deliver the very same experience? Stay out of their way. Because the... the, The majority of uh, uh, franchisees, um, uh, if not all, want to succeed. I mean, it's their money. They're on 10-year leases. They've got bank notes. They're in it. They are 100% in it. For sure. Um, So as long as we can provide them with the uh, appropriate uh, tools, whether that's training tools, recipe specs, uh, menu, uniform standards, opening mid, closing checklist, close to open checklist, line checks, all of the things, bathroom checklist, all the things that that are needed, we've got to stay out of their way Um, um, and and allow them to uh, organically uh, you know, operate their business um, uh, how it needs to be operated. Yeah, yeah. Does there there has to be brand standards, of course, but that's our sign, that's our menu, that's our logo, that's our uniforms, that's our every server is your server, that's the raw product of the food that we've designated that they make the items on. So, you know how we do how they deliver at the table, uh, and how they deliver out of the kitchen. Um, uh, at, at least at Famous Toastery, what I have found is the the those franchisees that have uh, completely bought in. I went into uh, uh, our franchisee up in um, up in Virginia, and I'm talking to her name. Her name's Angela Goodman. It was just a great experience. Same thing down in Wilmington. Joe Kloiber is the franchisee. And I'm like, what are you doing here, man? This the, the place feels great. It looks great. Your people are great. Both ones in Wilmington, North Carolina. Ones up in Virginia. They both answered the same thing. Oh, we're just doing what they taught us at opening. And they're like seven years ago. I mean, they're just doing what they were shown. So that's what I mean by stay out of the way. The ones that are the first franchisees that are performing, just get out of their way. We need to support them. The ones that are struggling, we got to figure out why they're struggling. Is it is it market driven? Is it team member driven? Is it you know things happen in life? Uh, is it personal driven? We got to figure that out and then help them get there. But I'm not a believer that uh, one one size fits all. Um, we've got to be able to listen and uh, react and act accordingly. Do you participate with any either corporate or outside secret shopper services, perhaps, to give you sort of a pulse on what's happening in a new location, an existing location? Because obviously, people, yourself may included, might do some travel and visit locations from time to time. But obviously, when you walk in the door, people get all nervous and squirrely, like, oh, my God, we're going to snap to attention kind of thing. But anonymous people that do this for you know, a vocation or whatever can give you real honest feedback, real objective feedback on what they see. Uh, do you do that at all? We do. We, we have a, a secret shopper program. It's not Thanks. as robust. It's not as robust as I, as I would like. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, but uh, the, the ops team is actually currently working on making it more robust. Uh, paring down some of the um, the scoring because uh, there's some things on there. It felt like it was just put together just to come up with a score. Um, you know, I'd rather just grade three things than if they're all three great things and gr- good. I'm o- overstating, um, but you know, so yes, we, we do. Um, and what I personally used it for at Famous Toaster over the last uh, you know, six to eight months. It's really just get a barometer on, is this thing working? Does it move the needle or not? Right. Uh, and uh, it works. I don't think it's moving the needle. So we're looking at reform, reformatting that, um, uh, how it goes. But I do want to do want to say, you know, it's interesting you say, uh, uh, you know, if, if you said me, if I go into a restaurant, quote, snap to attention, 
I do everything in my power um, for that is not the case. Um, and I tell my team, when we walk in, we should be met with open arms and and business as normal um, it, because I, I, I am less important. I'm the, when I walk in any restaurant, I'm the least important person in that restaurant. Um, you know, I would argue the most important person in the restaurant um, is either the the new team, the newest team member, or the last guest that just walked in the door. So uh, yeah, so we've got to you know, we got to we got to we got to break that down uh, uh, with the team that um, you know we're we're. We're not there to be the center of attention. We're 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 there to to help make other people be the center of attention. Okay. Every franchise company is different in flexibility that they allow their operators. Very rigid, somewhat loose, somewhere in the middle. Different regions of the country, as the company continues to grow, has different sort of cultural differences, maybe menu differences, preferences that really work in an area but don't work in another one. Tell us about what degree of leeway do you offer an operator to add menu items, to R&D new things and say, hey, this really works. Best practices that get shared across different operators. I mean, tell us about all that. Yeah, I think we're in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for, uh, and some of our restaurants are still doing this, but, you know, when, when I first got to Famous Toastery at the beginning of this year, we had a, uh, a specials card that was on the, the table every day. And the first thing I said, specials, is that really the right word? So we changed this to famous features, uh, because we wanted to feature something, but they, even as we looked at that, we did that for a few months, at least in uh, some of uh, the, the our, our restaurants that we operate, I, I took them off the table. And why? Um, because I said, let's just execute our current menu items perfect. Once we get our current menu items perfect, then we can go add a feature and we can feature something um, in which we are uh, about to feature a, a product this, uh, this, this fall. Um, so... But the, some of our franchisees um, uh, have some some great features that they have uh, now just staples in their restaurant. So we're starting to pull some of those out and, and take a look at them and see how they will uh, act or react uh, within the whole environment. But the key is, um, you know, as you as you grow, as you well know, um, is can we get that particular item to all of our restaurants? Mm-hmm. It doesn't do us any good if if it's just some specialty item that I can't get to twenty six restaurants. So we've got to we got to play within uh, th- those those boundaries. Now, what part of a menu that is standardized changes from time to time seasonally or new menu items get rolled out or limited time offers? I mean, do you participate in those types of programs or is it pretty much a standard lunch brunch, um, obviously breakfast menu that pretty much stays constant? How would you how would you explain? No, no we're, we're, we we absolutely uh, participate with some, some LTOs. Mm-hmm. We did a, uh, a a full program in the spring called Spring into Alcohol, and it was really just uh, focusing in on our uh, on our bar because we do have full bars, like I, like I mentioned. Uh, so mimosa flights, Bloody Marys, um, and and really focusing in on those uh, components, and then from a from a um, uh, from a, a food menu standpoint. Um, uh, really, I've got this this desire to our bat. I call it the batter section. That's our flapjacks, our waffles, and right. our, our French right. toast. Um, and we already have some great stuff. French toast. We stuff with cream cheese or, or Nutella or bananas. Flipping great. Uh, but how do we how do we expand on that? And what are some of those things that that, that we can do? You know, so um, you know, everyone, it's you know, it's fall everyone says already right so there's pumpkin spice this and pumpkin spice that uh uh, so you know we're rolling out a uh, a nut butter product um uh that we are going to stuff it's either in our french toast or one of our waffles that is a uh pecan spiced uh uh uh, pumpkin uh that we're that we're going to do so that's that's in the works as we speak should roll out in the next couple weeks Fantastic. Very good. Last question, Michael. We have some sophisticated seasoned operators as, you know, 
listen to the podcast and whatnot, and they're always looking for a new opportunity. What message would you give them? I and mean, we've covered a lot of ground today, but is there any um, words of encouragement or, hey, take a look at Famous Toastery? What would you say to them and how can they reach out to get more information on this particular opportunity? Sure. Um, yeah, well, first, if, if if you're looking for opportunity, the most important thing to me is fit. Um, and uh, I I mentioned uh, before when you talked about, hey, what, what are you looking for in a franchisee? Well, the 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 franchisee, it's what are they looking for in a partner and a in a franchisor also. So um, if it's not a good fit. Um, uh, whether you love the brand or don't love the brand, then I, I would suggest going to find something else. Um, because the, the, you know, the franchisor franchisee relationship is a, it's a, it's a long-term relationship. It's 10 years, uh, at least most franchise agreements are, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're hard to get out of, um, on both sides. Right. So you've got to make sure that uh, the leadership team and uh, not only the brand, you get to, I love the food. I love the ambiance. I love the business model. Okay. All that's great, but you really got to, you got to connect with the people. Uh, so any of those folks out there that are looking for opportunity, I just, I, I suggest as you go through your discovery process, not just look at the the brand itself, but do some research on the people that are running the brand, do some research and get to know those people. See if they'll meet you for coffee. And just talk, talk. Let's talk about our kids. Let's talk about our hobbies. Let's talk about what drives us. Let's talk about life, um, because the the relationship really is intertwined. And um, at least I found that there's got to be a, a, a trudge, a, a trust bridge built uh, b- between the two, because there's going to be issues. There's going to be problems. Things are going to come up, but if that trust is always there, then you, you're able to get through it much quicker. Um, and you know, if, if you're interested in a uh, famous toastery, go to famoustoastery.com or and uh, uh, and take a look. And Eric will get back, get a hold of you, and uh, we'll start the conversation. Fantastic, Michael. Well, again, we covered a lot of ground, lots of ins and outs of operating and best practices and challenges and just franchise operations in general. So I I really appreciate your being on the podcast. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you so much to our audience for tuning in. Once again, we hope you stay well and stay tuned. Thank you, Michael, for being a great guest on the podcast and for sharing your Be Famous culture and philosophy with our audience. Again, so many key learnings that we can all apply to our own business. I'd like to also thank the sponsors of this week's episode, Pop Menu, Smithfield Culinary, Devo, and Serve, the restaurant training app at srvnow.com. Thanks to the audience. Can't wait to see you next time. Don't miss it. Imagine both your front and back of house teams are so well-trained that they're executing flawlessly. Your front of house is doubling your sales, boosting repeat business, and creating five-star dining experiences, while your back of house is consistently preparing each dish to perfection, on time and to spec. Having a restaurant this dialed takes a unique training system. That's where Serve comes in. Serve means study restaurant variety, and it is a powerful mobile training system, custom-built to meet the needs of your restaurant. Serve will up-level your team's knowledge and skills, maximize your profits, and create experiences guests will rave about. Picture this. Before the doors open for business, Susan, one of your managers, is assigning serve training to Paul, your new bartender. Using the app, he will learn both food and beverage ingredients, allergens, romance notes, and pairings. She shows Paul how to use serve's interactive study tools to become a master of the menu, and how to use the cocktail database to easily find specs to make any drink. He can't wait to hit the floor and sees how Serve will unlock his hidden sales potential. Susan will be able to track his training progress and test his performance. I've got this, Paul says. Next, Susan just uploaded a brand new appetizer to the Serve menu using the admin dashboard. Using Serve's menu profit tools, she's determined that this new dish will have a major positive impact on the restaurant's bottom line if the team is able to sell it. So she makes it a priority sale item and gets your front of house team on board to suggest it throughout the night. 
Meanwhile, in the kitchen, Steve, your line cook, pulls out his phone and uses Serve to see prep notes on the new appetizer offering. Wow, he says. Here are all the ingredients, the cooking steps, and a photo of the plate presentation. This makes it so easy to learn this dish. Sally, your server, returns to her table with drinks and says, May I now suggest you start with our new signature appetizer? It's the perfect complement to the chef's fantastic lobster special tonight that pairs wonderfully with a bottle of Whitehaven Sauvignon Blanc. That sounds wonderful, the guest says. We can't wait to try it. Sally learned these suggestive sales by studying pairings on Serve. Serve also allows you to up-level your management team with a comprehensive restaurant academy that includes efficiencies, inventory management, cost controls, and maximizing profit, menu engineering, proven marketing solutions, and more. Serve includes everything needed to develop your managers into rising stars in your operation. As the leader of your organization, you take pride in continuing to up-level your operation and your team. You know that by investing in your people, jobs become careers, and everyone in your team feels empowered to perform at their best. As you can see, the possibilities with Serve are endless. Serve is the key to unlocking your restaurant's hidden potential and will prove that the more your team is able to learn, the more your restaurant will earn. It's Serve, and it's a game changer. Ready to serve? Get started at srvnow.com. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.